Father, we give you thanks and praise because you hear our every cry. You know the burdens of our heart. You know all things. We pray, Father, that you tonight will help us to understand your word. Lord, that it will be written upon our hearts. That we will see, Lord, the greatness of our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer and Deliverer, our Messiah, your Anointed One, Jesus Christ. And in all of His goodness and mercy, in all of the pouring out of of His love for us, that we will see, Lord God, Your work and Your handiwork toward us, and especially in these last days, Lord. Help us to understand fully and completely your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 11. I desired so much to go through this whole chapter, and we're going to look at a couple of verses this evening. So, should the Lord come during this time, praise the Lord, but we won't finish chapter 11. (laughs) I'd like to read through verse 5, but um, we won't get there until next week. Let's read verses 1 through 5, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with a breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now many Bible prophecies have two features or characteristics that allow them to stand out as significant to near and future fulfillment. We've talked about this often in in our study of prophecy. But it's a double-edged, if you will, a double-edged sword, if you will. Speaking to those of the immediate time, and speaking to those of a time to come. In the chapter that we have before us, probably one of the greatest chapters in the Old Testament or New Testament, dealing with the millennium, 
there is an immediate transition from the devastation in the previous chapter dealing with a serious invasion, which, by the way, is also a picture of a second fulfillment with the coming Antichrist. We'll get into that another time. To the reestablishment of the Davidic dynasty at the second coming of the Messiah of Israel. Go back, if you will, a couple of verses to chapter 10, verses 33 and 34 where it closes out there in that particular chapter, Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. And so in contrast to the proud trees that the Lord cuts down in this previous passage, there is in chapter 11 a a tender shoot from a seemingly dead stump, if you will. Remember that the last two verses of chapter 10 were, were fulfilled when the Assyrians came against Jerusalem during the reign of King Hezekiah. We talked about it last time. 185,000 Assyrians were killed in a single night by the angel of the Lord. But the picture we were left with was that of God chopping down a mighty forest. But now we look to another tree. Now we look to another tree. In verse 1 it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. A rod and a branch shall grow out of his roots, the stem of Jesse. Now the idea here is that the Lord is looking over the stumps and causes a branch to grow out of one of them, the root of the family of Jesse, David's father. Now what is interesting about this is that the tree of Jesse, if you will, would be a a reference to the kings of Judah, all of whom were descended of David and, of course, of Jesse. But what is even more interesting is that in Isaiah's day, the tree of Jesse really hadn't been cut down yet. It would have been cut down at the time of King Nebuchadnezzar when the nation of Judah was taken captive to Babylon. This would be a few years later, but nonetheless it would happen. And now in in Jesus' day, if we were to just go up to Jesus' time, you'd realize that there were still descendants of David... But one thing was different, and that was there were no kings. But there was a line of David. We know that from the genealogies of Jesus, both in in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, both traverse through the line of David. And so the Lord wanted Judah to know that even though the Assyrians and later the Babylonians would come and bring judgment... God would still use them and bring forth life from them, you see. And this should be a reminder, before we go on, this should be a reminder for us how God has kept His hand upon Israel, how God has kept His hand upon His people. You know, it's a sad thing that so many people down through the ages of the church had written Israel off a long time ago. We still have the effects of that in what is called... uh, um, replacement theology 
where people have written Israel off and saying that all the blessings of the Old Testament now really belong only to the church. But that has not been the case if you truly read the Old Testament properly and rightly and, and, consider, and consider the very fact that God loves His people. God has watched over His people. There's always been a remnant, even through the times of great disobedience and, and great chastisement that has come upon His people. Nonetheless, there's always been a remnant. And so God is, is really encouraging them here that He is still going to use them, still going to bring forth life from them. And even if they appeared like a stump that was long gone without life, We've all seen stumps like that, trees hewn down, trees cut down. And nothing after that grows on that stump. Maybe from time to time we see a little bit of life come through, but most of the time life is cut off. And even if they appeared like a stump that was long gone without life, the Lord would restore that life. How long did Israel look like a withered and a lifeless tree stump? robbed of its trunk and branches, seemingly never to bring fruit again. You see, that's what a lot of people thought. Israel is destroyed. Israel is gone. They're scattered. They'll never become a people again. They'll never become a a, a people like God wanted them to be again. You know, what's interesting today about Israel is that they have come back into the land speaking the same language that was spoken 2,000 years before. The same language has never happened with any other culture or any other kind of nation. A lot of stuff changes. Where are those great, where are those great uh, uh, empires of the past? They're all gone. Their languages are all gone. Their cultures and their customs are all gone. But Israel remains in their land, or at least a portion of it anyway. There'll be more land to come later. But fruit would indeed come forth. But folks, don't just focus on Israel. Fruit would indeed come forth in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is who we're looking at here when we look at this particular text. And we look at what it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. For the Messiah to come, his people had to remain, you see. So there's where the life is. The life has to remain. How many times, down through the ages, has the enemy tried to destroy Israel for the sake of destroying the promise of Messiah? You see. But he cannot destroy Israel. And Messiah has come. Messiah has come. The Messiah of Israel is called a rod and a branch. The rod from the stem of Jesse to emphasize his humility. Think about that for just a moment. There you are looking at all these stumps, you know, a forest all cut down. That's a humbling experience. There's no great dignity in that. There's no great royal dignity as it were. And yet out of a stump comes forth a rod and a branch. And just think about that, how Jesus came to this earth, how He came in humility to this earth. In Micah 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, 
whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and verses 11 and 12. The promise, the, the very proclamation of the angel, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. Notice the sign. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. It doesn't say you will find a babe wrapped in silk and linens and beautiful gold and precious jewels around him and, and lying in some beautiful bed, bassinet. You know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. That's pretty humbling, I would say. Swaddling cloths were just strips of cloth signifying how he was going to be wrapped up when he died and was buried in that tomb. The same way, swaddling cloths. Humility. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says, But he made himself of no reputation, or but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. That's a slave. And coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so you see how significant it is that he's not mentioned as the rod of David. Although in Revelation chapter 22 we're told that he is the branch uh, or the rod of David, but, but here he is mentioned as the rod of Jesse. David, of course, became the king. Jesse was the humble dad. In essence, really lesser in notoriety, if you will, or fame, as it were. But the prophet Isaiah had to look beyond his people's trials to the glorious kingdom that would be established when the branch would come to reign. And so he takes a picture, gives us a picture from humility to honor. In these very terms, the rod from the stem of Jesse, the branch, if you'll notice, shall grow out of his roots from humility to honor. Why? Because if you look at Zechariah chapter 6, Verses 12 and 13, notice it says, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. But there, the branch ruling on his throne. You see, from the humility of life on this earth to the honor that is to be bestowed upon Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords in that time where He comes to reign for a thousand years on this earth. When you jump to Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, 
having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And the reason I added that particular verse here to this reading here is because of the, you know, the tie between the root of David or the branch of David, as it were, and the very fact that what is represented here are seven spirits, which leads us actually to the next uh, section in verse 2, which we'll get to in just a moment. But the branch that comes from that seemingly dead stump is not just barely alive. It, is, it has the fullness of life, you see. The branch has the fullness of life and it has the fullness of the Spirit of the Lord. And so when you get to verse 2 of, of Isaiah chapter 11, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, shall rest upon the rod from the stem of Jesse, the branch that shall grow out of His roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Notice how these are paired, these six following the, the first part. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. But then there are these three groupings of two. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so the hope for the future, the hope for the future doesn't consist in externals. Always remember that the hope for the future doesn't consist of that which is outward or external, nor arises from the earth, not from here. You see, Jesus came here. He came from that place next to the Father to be here with us. It is of a spiritual and a divine origin, you see. The hope for the future is a spiritual and divine origin. In contrast, you see, with the Assyrian ruler who, who boasted in his own strength and wisdom, as we saw in the last chapter, the Messiah of Israel draws his strength and his wisdom from the Spirit of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the Spirit often fell on the leaders of the people. Moses and the elders on the judges, even the kings and the prophets. The Spirit often fell on the leaders of the people. I take you back to Numbers chapter 11. There in verses 24 and 25, speaking of Moses, it says, So Moses went out and told the people of the words, uh, the words of the Lord, and he gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Now notice, the Lord has already anointed and, and blessed Moses, but then in verse 25 it says, And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the Spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But nonetheless, what we find here is that these were going to be leaders. And the Spirit of the Lord was to come upon them. Moses and the elders, you see. And then you move on into the times of the judges and the judges even. We're blessed with the Spirit of the Lord and needed to be. Especially every time that the people took their eyes off of the Lord. Every time the people went away and astray from the things of God. In Judges 3 verse 9 it says, When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And notice it says in verse 10, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In other words, Othniel. And he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, in Mesopotamia, into his hand. 
and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. And so even in the judges, in the time of the judges, and certainly in the time of the kings, illustrated by, by Samuel anointing David with the horn, the ram's horn, uh, filled with oil, you know, poured upon David. First Samuel 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. And then also the prophets. And there, you know, we could have a lot of uh, examples of that. But one in particular is Micah, once again. In Micah chapter 3, verse 8. Here he says, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. To have that calling of a prophet, he needed the full power, it says. I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. And so the, to be blessed and filled and anointed of the Spirit of God is, is, is necessary for service in, 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 in the church as well. But we must immediately dismiss any notion that it was a false spirit or a deceiving spirit or even a, the spirit of a man that came upon this Messiah that we read here in, in, 11, in chapter 11 of Isaiah. Because it tells us that the Spirit of the Lord God of Israel rests upon the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God of Israel rests upon the Messiah. There was a time that the Lord rebuked His disciples back in Luke chapter 9. You all might be familiar with the, uh, the passage. There were those that uh, James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven upon tells us in verse, verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. They went to another village. But I, I, I want you to focus on this particular statement that Jesus made. He said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we better know what manner of spirit we're of. We better know what manner of spirit we're of. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he was of the spirit of the Lord. So there is no doubt here that as we're being told that this rod from the stem of Jesse, this branch that, that shall grow out of his roots, that the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. And part of God's goal in our own lives, part of God's goal in our own lives is to mold us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. This is part of the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. To mold us and to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, notice, to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We need to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ. 
You see, we can't do that in our flesh. We can't do that in and of ourselves. We need the Spirit of God to help us in this. The more we try to do it in our flesh, the more we try to do it ourselves, you know, we, we fall into the traps of, of, of legalism and, 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 and just, you know, even elitism, as it were. Well, some people think, you know, that they, be, they become better than other people, you know. We don't make ourselves. We submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would lead us, guide us, make us what God wants us to be. That's really the better way to do it, isn't it? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49 says, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. We have to move, you see, from that, uh, you know, the, from that fact that we only can try to conform ourselves to, to man as, 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 as Adam was and realize that now we're to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. Later on in the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 18, Paul said, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And there's the key. It has to be by the Spirit of the Lord. It can't be by our own power. It can't be by our own might. It can't be by our own uh, intellect. It can't be by our own wisdom. Man's wisdom is... is uh, uh, Dangerous at times. Even man's wisdom when it, when it relates to something religious, as it were, or something spiritual, you know, quote-unquote. Man's wisdom isn't going to cut it. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. It's not by might or power, as it says in Zechariah. But by my Spirit, saith the Lord. My Spirit. And so when we see lists like we have here in verse 2, we have to consider how God might want to mold us. I think this would be a good way to look at this particular passage tonight, along with, of course, how God has, has rested the Spirit of, uh, of Himself upon the Messiah. But if we are to be conformed to the image of Christ, we need to take notice of this list. And if you notice, there are actually seven aspects of the Holy Spirit listed here. And the number seven is, is usually seen as the number of perfection, the idea being here that the, the Holy Spirit is on Jesus in the fullest sense. It isn't just in, in a partial sense, it is in the full sense that Jesus Christ has the Spirit resting upon Him. You know, it's possible that this might be what John sees as the seven spirits before God's throne there in Revelation 4, verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And so as we begin to look at these particular spirits or these particular aspects of the Spirit of the Lord, think for just a moment about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Think about the fact that it says the fruit of the Spirit is, and it gives us nine characteristics. The fruit of the Spirit is, the fruit singular of the Spirit is, and then it gives us nine characteristics. It's one fruit, but it has nine parts to it. Love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, and so on and so forth. But one spirit, yet these characteristics are given to us. So it begins by saying that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, the Spirit of the Lord. This is the special way in which the Messiah is endowed with the Spirit. It's being, it's being expressed here first by saying that the Spirit will rest on him. That is, the Spirit has come down on him from on high, never to leave him again. And for us to have the Holy Spirit working in our lives means that we will be communicating more frequently about the Lord. And understand this particular point. That as the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him, the Spirit of the Lord rests upon Him. What is going to happen? What is going to come forth? Think about this. Jesus said this in John 15, verses 26 and 27. He said, but when the Helper comes, that of course being the Holy Spirit, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. So there is already testifying, there is already testimony, there is already a witness being declared that the Spirit who proceeds from the Father will testify of Jesus. And then it says, And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. So there is this sense of the Spirit of the Lord being upon us that we might bear witness of the Lord. Now think about this. If you have a difficult time talking about the Lord openly, it could be that you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to rest upon you. By the way, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, that phrase. It's interesting that it refers to the one God in three persons. Think about the phrase again. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Him. It reminds us of the presence of the Godhead, the full presence of the Godhead at the baptism of Jesus. If you remember the baptism of Jesus, when John takes Jesus and baptizes Him in the water, First of all, there was a dove that descended upon Jesus. And then there was a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And of course, Jesus was there too, the Son. Father, the voice of the Father, the Son. And then, of course, the dove representing the Holy Spirit was upon him. How interesting that this one little phrase, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. So once again, there's a reference here to one God in three persons. And so, though this be a general statement, nonetheless, this is one of those characteristics to give us seven. For now we have three pairings of two aspects and characteristics coming up. First of all, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. First of all, the spirit of wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, simply, wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is not uh, just knowing things. It is not just knowing things, but knowing what's right, putting all the pieces together. This Spirit is on the Messiah who is perfectly wise in all things. He showed it during His earthly ministry, and He shows it now. He shows it now in His ministry toward us in heaven. 
In fact, He is wisdom. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, but notice, who became for us wisdom from God. Now, we can have a lot of knowledge. We can have some understanding of things. But wisdom is how we can apply all of that other stuff. Wisdom is applying knowledge. Wisdom is applying this understanding. And Christ has become for us wisdom from God. Notice how this is going to tie into all these other things that will actually speak to our own hearts and our own needs in the days in which we live. Tied together with this is the spirit of understanding. The spirit of understanding. This gift is the ability to discern circumstances and relationships. The word itself in the Hebrew for understanding is a word that that means discernment and discrimination in the sense of being able to dis, you know, discern and to dis, uh, differentiate, as it were. That's understanding. So it is the ability to discern circumstances, the ability to discern relationships. It reminds us that Jesus understands all things. I could have said that in the past tense and said Jesus understood all things. But I say it in the present. Jesus understands all things. He understands all things now, today. And He understands us perfectly. Have you ever thought in your own life that sometimes you don't even understand yourself? Now, come on, be honest. There are times we don't even understand ourselves. We've even been in positions where we said, man, I didn't even understand a thing I said. What was I saying? How about this? What was I doing? Have we not all done that? How about the other phrase? What was I thinking? (laughs) We don't understand ourselves sometimes. But Jesus understands us perfectly. And folks, listen, this is something we need to take home with us tonight. Jesus understands us and knows us perfectly right now. Right where you are, right in the situation that you're dealing with right now, at home maybe, at work maybe, at school maybe, wherever it may be, with some kind of relation. This is why I say that it is the ability to discern circumstances, discern relationships. Because Jesus was able to see right through People And he could see their motives. How many times did we see this in the gospel? That Jesus could see right through the motives of his enemies. Right through the motives of the religious people that were trying to destroy him. He could see through everything that they were trying to do. But the good thing for us is that Jesus is also perfectly suited to be our sympathetic high priest in heaven. He is suited 
perfectly to be our high priest in heaven. Hebrews 4.14 and following says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I have to stop here for just a moment and tell you that sometimes I think that a lot of Christians fall short of holding fast to our confession that Jesus is the great high priest. Because listen carefully to what he goes on to say. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. You know, double negative cancels itself out. You understand that? He says, We do not have a high priest who cannot. What he's saying is, We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. We oftentimes act as if God doesn't understand what we're going through. Listen carefully. Sometimes we, under, we act as if God doesn't understand. God doesn't really know what I'm going through. Folks, He knows it better than you are. Or He knows it better than you do. And He, and he, and he knows better than you do what needs to be done. He's our high priest. Have we gone to Him? Have we trusted in Him? Have we gone and laid our hearts before Him? Have we poured ourselves out to say, God, only You have been already there before I even got here. So You know. Listen, you can, you can, you can dump a lot of stuff on people. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's why pastors were, were made. They could be dumped on, right? Are you kidding me? See, we might think that. And we might do that. But it tells us sometimes, when that's happening, that you haven't gone and trusted the God who's been there before you, who knows exactly what you're going through, who knows exactly what you're, what you're feeling. And why? And then there's the issue of sin. And there's the issue of sin from the standpoint of not trusting God. The Bible tells us anything that is without faith is sin. That's a heavy-duty thought, isn't it? When we don't trust the Lord, that's sin. That's faithlessness. But he understands, you see. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So now... The invitation is given here by the Apostle. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us come boldly. In other words, come confidently to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because He has the spirit of understanding. And He knows where you are. He's already been there. And guess what? Having been there, He's conquered it already for us. He conquered it for us. Discernment, you see. You go to the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 5. This is for us. Listen carefully. Solid food, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Mature, in other words. 
Part of the problem in the church today is people are not maturing because they're not getting into the Word of God and they're not asking the Lord to give them the wisdom and the understanding of the Word that they might apply that in their lives. So listen, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason, notice, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The practice, you see, of trusting in the Spirit of God, trusting in the wisdom of God, trusting in the understanding of God, by reason of use. You don't use some of the muscles that you have in you. They get weak. Men are really funny. The athlete and men. I say this of older guys because young guys can, you know, they can bounce around, you know, they can get ready right away. But us old guys, you know, 20 years from play, playing ball, you know, we decide we can go out there without having, you know, without having exercise or run a little bit. We go out there, yeah, I'll go and play, you know. And, and you know what? You spend three days in your bed afterwards because you haven't exercised those muscles. And by reason of use, you are just messed up. <laughs> or by reason of no use. <laughs> but, you know, here comes the spiritual life. And we say, listen, oh, yes, we love the Lord, but are you, t- are you spending time with Him? Are you taking that time to, 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 to plead before the throne of God, know, knowing that you can come boldly to the throne of grace? Oh, don't fail. Don't fail. He's opened, the, he's opened wide you know, the, the, the veil has been rent in, rent in two so that we can come because of the blood of Christ. We can enter in boldly to receive everything that God has for us in every situation. And then we're given two more aspects, characteristics linked together. The spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. First of all, the spirit of counsel now. This gift is closely related, by the way, to wisdom and understanding, and you'll see how all of them really are related, but this is closely related to wisdom and understanding in that it is the capacity to make the right decisions. The spirit of counsel is the capacity to make the right decisions. He, our Lord and our Savior, has perfect counsel to give us all the time. He has the perfect counsel to give us all the time, being that He has both the wisdom and the understanding to be a perfect counselor. So you see, wisdom, understanding, now He's the perfect counselor. And what does this link up to from uh, chapter 9 of Isaiah? Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor, you see. So... For us, then, this spirit of counsel, it is the ability to make plans and decisions. It is the ability and the capacity to make those right decisions. But through Him, through Him, why do I add this? Because we are often looking for someone to give us advice and counsel. And I'm sure that the Lord would really appreciate it if we would consider going to Him. I believe he would really he would really appreciate it if he if we would go to him for counsel. Why? Isaiah nine. 
<laughs> his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What does it say here? The Spirit of the Lord is upon him, the Spirit of Counsel. But understand that the more that we grow in the Lord, the more that we grow in love of Christ, and the more that we grow in the love of His Word, and we read His Word, and we fellowship with God through His Word, the more we will find ourselves receiving counsel from Him. Listen to what David says in Psalm 34, verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord, and He heard me. <laughs> That's pretty simple, but it's It's profound. He says, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. You see, look at, the, look at the three parts to this verse. I sought the Lord. Now ask yourself the question. In, in, in your time of struggle this afternoon or this morning or, or whenever, today, you had a situation, did you seek the Lord? I sought the Lord. And then did you trust in one thing? That when you seek the Lord with all your heart, He's going to hear you. He says, I sought the Lord and He heard me. Do you know that when you seek the Lord with a sincere heart, and, and certainly, you know, just a, a, just a pure heart, you just say, Lord, I need you. I, I need your wisdom. I seek you, Lord God, with all of my heart, that He's hearing you. Do you have the confidence to know that He's hearing you? But not only does He hear us, you see, here's the third part. God's actions. And He delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me. You see, I, I really want people to understand. I, I want you to understand. I want everyone that comes to this church to understand. You know, we'll be here. We'll be available. We're going to point you to the Lord and we're going to point you to His Word. Because when it comes right down to it, if you listen to Him, if you listen and read and believe in His Word and do what it says, guess what? He's going to deliver you from your fears. And when you give praise, you ain't going to praise us, you're going to praise Him. And by the way, I'd encourage you, praise Him, not us. All we do is point you in that direction. I have a problem. Boom, we're going to put this big spotlight on God's Word because that's, the, that's what's going to help you. But if you don't listen to it, what, what happens? You know, sometimes we go around place to place. I didn't like what I heard here. I didn't like what I heard there. Well, you know what? If, you, if I just give you the Word of God and you don't want to listen to it, you're not, you know, hey, it's not me. You lay down a problem, I tell you, here it is. Now study this, believe it, trust it, and trust that the Lord's going to help you. But you're looking for something else. You have to understand, unless you die to self and trust the Lord, what's going to happen? How simple. I sought the Lord, He heard me, and He delivered me. Now, that could have been overnight, or it could have been in, in, in a week's time, or it could have been in a month's time, but you know what? God still does it. Could it, be, it could be in a year's time. God still does it. It brings us to the spirit of might. <clears throat> the spirit of might. Which is the ability to carry out the right decisions. You see how they're tied together? The spirit of counsel, the gift is, uh, is the capacity to make the right decisions. And the spirit of might is the ability to carry out the right decisions. 
And certainly this Spirit is upon Jesus who not only has the power to do what He desires to do, but He also has both the love and the might to help us in all of our circumstances. He has the love to help us and the might to help us in everything that we deal with, in everything that we do. As a matter of fact, when He blessed the church in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what did He do? He poured out His Spirit upon them. He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses to Me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They were going to be able to do what He wanted them to do by the Spirit that was poured upon Him. The Spirit of might. Certainly that can reflect upon those, those issues and those times and those struggles that we may be going through, but we know one thing, that God will be there because He said, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. He doesn't close the door on us and say, I'll be back in about 10, 15 minutes, figure it out yourself, and I'll come back and see what you did. Some teachers do that, right? I mean, well, I know it's part of teaching. All right, you're going to take, you know, 15 minutes. I want you to read this passage, you know, read this book or read this lesson. And when I get back, you know, we're going to see whether you learned anything from it or not. But God gives us an open book lesson every day, doesn't He? He wants us to have our books open. Why? Because there is the wisdom. There is the counsel. We need to be in His Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in fellowship with the Lord. But when then, on top of it all, we need to trust that He's going to give us the Spirit of might. You shall receive power. Power. Dunamis. The power to see what God wants to do in your life. The power to do the things that, that we would say, I could never do this myself. Of course you can, because you know what? It's God's power. It's God's will. It's God's purpose. It's God's plan. And He wants to use you. And He'll fill you with His Spirit. And then there's the last two, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of knowledge is the experiential knowledge of who and what He is, His will and His ways. It is a knowledge that arises from a fellowship of love and trusting association with Him. Here it refers especially to the way in which he wants his people to be governed. Because you see, he knows our hearts. And he knows all the facts. I know we've said this before. But he knows our hearts and he knows our facts. In fact, (laughs) he knows everything. And it is only with the Holy Spirit in our life that we are able to have any kind of understanding at all into the ways of God. The Spirit of knowledge. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 11. He says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. 
What is it that we need to know? To know who He is, to know what He is, to know what He wants, to know His ways, the deep things of God, the spirit of knowledge. I would hope and pray that if you've known the Lord any amount of time that you know Him more now than you did when you first started, understand what I'm saying here. When you first come to Christ, you don't know a whole lot. But you can be like the blind man who said, I don't know, you know, but I, I know this one thing that once I was blind, but now I see. And for all of us, it, it, it really does begin there, doesn't it? I mean, we don't know a whole lot, but we know one thing. God has done something in our lives. Once we were lost, but now we're found. And the same spirit of knowledge works for us. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. But you see, God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. You have the Spirit poured out upon you. There's things that you know today that you're amazed. There are times when God wants you to say something to someone. and you know, What do I say? Well, just trust in the Lord. And sometimes things come out and then you, you, you finish this conversation that you may be having with somebody and all that came out of your mouth was scriptures that he had put into you already and there was knowledge there and and when you were done you said I don't even remember what I said but I know it was God's word that's the way God works Jesus said to his disciples too there would be a time when they would just go out and they would be you know just to trust in what they were what what he wanted them to say and they would say things that would glorify the Lord and and bring blessing to people. Lastly, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Having a healthy awe, healthy fear, healthy respect for God is where understanding and wisdom start. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. Because the knowledge we spoke of previously has its seed in the heart more than it has in the head, you see. It's in the heart. It is accompanied by the fear of the Lord, which inclines a person to do His will. You know, if we fear the Lord properly and rightly, then we just are inclined to want to do the things that honor God. And this fear is the foundation and the beginning of the wisdom that was mentioned initially. Most of you are familiar with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding. Notice, a good understanding have all those who do His commandments. So what do we have linked here? The fear of the Lord and the doing of His commandments. The fear of the Lord and the doing of His will. The fear of the Lord and the acting out the the things that honor God. Notice, His praise endures forever. These seven aspects of the Spirit of God are not the only characteristics of the Holy Spirit, of course, but they are grouped together here in seven to show the fullness and the perfection of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit is more and more active and comes more heavily upon our lives, then we grow to be more and more aware of God's presence. So we can surely say that about the now, about where we are now. 
But it is important to remember that Jesus lived and ministered as a man filled with the Spirit of God, displaying these characteristics to the uttermost. Because, and here's the reason, because He was the perfect vessel. He was a perfect vessel. There was nothing flawed in Him. There was nothing wrong in Him. There was nothing... Uh, there, there, there were no wrinkles or spots, no creases. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with him. He was perfect. He was holy. He was righteous. He was true. <clears throat> and even of Jesus in John chapter 3, and I'm going to leave you with this now. John 3 verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the, word of, the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. You understand what it says? It says God does not give the Spirit by measure. He doesn't just measure it out a little by little. He has given it fully. In other words, He does not limit how He gives His Spirit. And for sure, He did not limit any of the pouring out of His Spirit upon the Messiah. And this is why these first two verses, and this is why I wanted to spend this much time on these first two verses is so that you might see as we get into the, the, the rest of this particular chapter that deals with the coming of Jesus Christ again. Deals with the millennial kingdom. Deals with the nature of the kingdom and all of that. How important the person of Jesus Christ filled with the Spirit that is upon Him, resting upon Him. And if you want to, I mean, you could even look at the very fact that the first characteristic could be rest. You know, when the Lord created the world in six days, He rested on the seventh. But here, as the Lord comes again, He begins with rest and gives us all of these characteristics in Himself. And the same Spirit God has offered to each and every one of you who knows Him and loves Him. As a matter of fact, we're told in the Scriptures that we cannot even say that Jesus Christ is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. And so if we have come to Christ, it is because of the Spirit. If we remain in Christ and serve Christ, it is with the Spirit. And when the Lord comes again for His church, there will be certainly a presence of the Holy Spirit because it's already in us. The church today, the true church, the true gathering of believers in Jesus Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit. We are the, the ones who contain the Spirit. And when the Spirit is taken out, when the church is taken, watch out. There'll still be the presence of God because God's presence will always be. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit. The restraining power. As bad as the world is today, God is restraining multiplied, multiplied, multiplied tragedies, multiplied traumas. Think about that. When God comes to settle all accounts, be ready. 
Be filled with the Spirit of God. And know that the Lord that we look forward to seeing when He comes will have the Spirit of the Lord upon Him. Let's pray.